HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece has been brought to you by Bonnie Plants, bonnieplants.com. I'm Laura Stanley, host of Inside School Food. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Airway, and we've got a great guest today. Um, she is on the line from Philly. Um, I can't believe I've never had her on the program yet um, because she's awesome. It's Marissa McClellan, the blogger behind Food in Jars. And she has a third book out, just out, called um, Naturally Sweet Food in Jars. And uh, 100 Preserves Made with Coconut, Maple, Honey, and More. And uh, how are you, Melissa? Marissa? Sorry. I'm, it's all right. Hi, I'm good. Thanks for having me on the show. Of course, of course. And um, congrats on this new book. But um, first things first, uh, happy Easter. It's Easter happy, today. I know. Happy Easter. <laughs> I, this is like... For the, like the last few days when I've been saying, are you doing anything for Easter to people? I either get like a blank stare or somebody's like really excited about chocolate or like cooking, a, roasting like a ham or something like that or lamb. Um, I, I feel like, you know, whether or not for religious reasons um, or religious reasons aside, let's just say, it seems to me that like Easter is only celebrated by people who are just like taking advantage of this as like a fun uh, occasion to make a lot of good food. <laughs> so yeah, that's true. It is true. So it as, is, it's a good food holiday, right? Yeah. So as a foodie, are you, are you doing anything um, fun this day? Uh, not, not anything real special. Um, I I'm half Jewish and half Unitarian, so Easter mm-hmm. was never one of the big ones for me. Um, but we I made a special like breakfast this morning and. You know, I think my husband and I are going to go for a long walk today because it's pretty nice weather in Philadelphia, and uh, you know, and then do some work. Sadly, because you mm-hmm. know that is the life of the freelancer. There's always more to do. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your journey because you know you've been a blogger for um, some time, and now you're quite a you know a prolific author here with like uh yeah no really like you're doing like gangbusters and um like a a new interesting like take on canning um through these three books 
And, um, and, and, you know, granted, this is a category that has many books, I yeah. mean, on the shelves, and, and you always have something new to say about it. So that's, you know, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I try. And yeah. I'll, well, go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Um, well, I just also wanted to thank you on a personal note because I know that, like, I don't know, six or eight years ago, um, I was like, happened to be crashing through Philadelphia and I was like, any food bloggers out there want to show me around? And so Marissa, you like reached out and like showed me around this like wonderful food market and like just took time out to like really like, um, yeah, introduce the foods that you loved. And I, I'll never forget that. I really appreciate that. Oh, I'm glad it was really really fun. fun. I'm glad that we got to do that. Yeah. That was a crazy long time ago now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Can't believe it. Well, <coughs> excuse me. Look where, you're, where we are now. That's I know. Pretty cool. Bill's still talking about food. Mm-hmm. So, as a blogger, um, graduating to writing books, what are like? What do you like better? What's the ultimate? You know, what are you? Uh, and ho- like, where do you hope to go with it? If you know. Yeah. Um, well, um, you know, I like I like doing both. I like being a blogger and writing books. You know, there's this very the immediateness of blogging is really satisfying. Mm-hmm. You know, you you come up with a recipe and, you know, you can have feedback on it within a day, which is which I've always really liked and appreciated. Mm-hmm. But I also like the um, sort of the crafting of a collection that you get to do in a book. You know, um, I find that really satisfying. And I also like that at a certain point when you're done with a book, it's done. Mm-hmm. I, I continue to tweak recipes on my blog, you know, years after I posted them. And with a book at a certain point, it's like I'm done. You know, I yeah. work a little harder on the back end so that they're a little bit more finished when they go to print, obviously. But um, it, it's nice that I don't have to keep working on mm-hmm. those things. But And it's also nice, too, to... Um, give something to people that they have that they can take into the kitchen with them and really interact with and become theirs. You know, there's something um, about the physical nature of a book versus the sort of ephemeral nature of a blog Mm. that, um, you know, allows people to really interact and engage with um, and make theirs. You know, people bring books to have me sign them that are, you know, stained and dog-eared and, Mm -hmm. you know, they've made notes and made little tweaks. And to me, that's the best thing about it is that people are really taking these recipes and turning them into their own classics. And I love that. That's really cool. And so it sounds like the, the blog and, you know, books are really complementary. then. They serve different purposes, but um, further the conversation in different yeah. ways. Um, that's really cool. So I guess you aren't stopping blogging anytime soon then. No, I, I sometimes look at um, the... Like, I'll look at um, my blog and think, oh, my God, I've been doing this for seven years now. How can I possibly come up with anything fresh mm-hmm. or new or interesting? And then I'll, you know, go to a farmer's market or I'll, you know, r- wander through Reading Terminal, which is the market we went to that day mm-hmm. all those years ago, and see something new or even just see something on sale and it'll just spark an idea for me. And and I do, you know, I believe that blogs and books are really, really complementary, too, because the blog gives me a way to engage regularly with my audience and so it makes them remember that I'm there and get them excited when I have a new book coming out um, and so that also it's sort of they feed each other so I wouldn't want to give up either one I do sometimes think about sort of expanding what I'm doing on the blog because um, you know I always advise people when they're going to start a blog that they want to f- you want to find a niche 
that is both um, narrow enough that you can really become an expert in it, but broad enough that you can spend, you know, a a, you know, a matter of years elaborating and expanding on that area. But having done it for seven years now, I do think that um, I might be sort of starting to exhaust it. Mm-hmm. But but I had mm-hmm. been thinking that, and then the other day I had an idea for another book that sort of went, oh, my God, this is a whole other direction that I can kind of take this, you know, this preserves and, um, you know, condiments world awesome. in. So who knows? Maybe I'll never run out of ideas. I don't know. Awesome. Awesome. And also more, I guess, on the craft of, of food writing and um, uh, blogging also, um, it seems that there's just a, more and more like social media to get involved with that um, that people are connecting with. So, so how much do you think that plays into your work, or how important do you think that is? And do you sometimes feel like there's like a breaking point where you just can't stretch any further? <laughs> like well, Pinterest and bleh, so many. Yeah, it's hard. Um, Snapchat. Yeah, I can't do Snapchat. It just doesn't, I don't connect with it. I don't feel like I understand it, which I know makes me sound horribly old. And you know what? I'll be 37 in a few, you know, in a month and a half. So maybe I am just too old for Snapchat. I don't know. But um, I feel you. I uh, I feel like with social media, as much as I like it, it also feels like um, I'm getting diminishing returns for the effort, uh-huh. um, especially now that Instagram is about to go to the algorithm method of distributing content as opposed to being a reverse timeline, um, mm-hmm. you know, straight. This is, mm-hmm. you know, you post it. And because I really noticed a downturn in my traffic since Facebook changed its algorithm. You know, I have, like, a crazy number of followers on my to Facebook your site, right? And it, um, yeah. you know... I. So I've, I have, like, over 170,000 likes on my page. And on a good day, if I've posted something, I'll maybe get two or 3,000 views. Mm-hmm. And it used to be I'd get fifty or 60,000. And, um, mm-hmm. and so they really, you know, it, it has changed a lot. So it's like you post the same things and you get so many fewer eyeballs mm-hmm. that I don't know at a, at a certain point whether it's going to be worthwhile at all anymore. I just can't, fi- I can't figure it out. I mean, I do it because you're supposed to. <laughs> um, but... It, it it often feels like shouting into the wind a little bit. Right, right. And and also, I guess from the viewer's point of view or the readers, there are so many different um, ways to get your media, like, you know, whether through Facebook or um, Snapchat or something yeah. like that, um, that I, c- I can see why the, the page views on, on a blog will be, um, you know, t- diminished a little bit. Yeah. So stuff is changing. Um, yeah, and it keeps changing, and who knows where we'll be in two years. I can't. I can't even begin to predict. It has been quite. Uh, yeah, it has been quite a journey, and I, I know that there's a lot of um, you know folks t- still like talking about the latest in, in blogging and what that that means and what it will mean going forward. So um, yeah, I look forward to seeing what what you're doing with that because. Uh, <laughs> I'm probably going to copy you. Um, (laughs) um, So anyway, uh, speaking about doing things differently, um, this book is about using natural sweeteners, um, which is very counterintuitive, well, non-traditional, let's say, when it comes to making jams and preserves. And uh, because granulated sugar, white sugar is the, I guess, de facto uh, way to go. And I'm not sure where we started with that because... How did that become, you know, so set in stone? I've heard, you know, some people just swear by it and like, no, you don't futz around with this. 
So do you know when that all started or Well, why? sugar, you know, has been very affordable for a long time, mm-hmm. and sugar is a very powerful preservative. And so um, when you're making jam, for instance, sugar does a lot more than just sweeten. It is, um, it's preserving the product, mm-hmm. and then it also is helping with the set. The thickening. and Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. often people will say you don't mess around with the sugar because um, you're not going to have as good a result if you do, or it's not going to last as long. Mm-hmm. And these things are all true to a certain degree, but it doesn't mean that you can't make safe well-set preserves without granulated sugar. It's just that you have to do some things differently. And, um, you know, the trade-offs are that it perhaps isn't going to last quite as long. But, you know, a a sugar-sweetened jam that you, you know, you're using maybe two parts fruit to one part sugar, that jam is going to keep for like three or four years. Mm-hmm. And I'm of the, you know, the school of thought that we don't really need to make jam that's going to keep for three or four years, you know. Unless maybe, it's going to be in a warehouse for yeah, some exactly. of the time. Yeah, exactly. So it's okay to make jam that's only going to keep for nine months to a year because that's the time in which you should be eating it. You know, mm-hmm. I I always joke to people, you know, that that preserving, you're not preserving for all time. Mm-hmm. You're preserving for a time. Mm-hmm. And so if you think about it, that you're really only trying to extend the shelf life of your food for maybe six to nine to 12 months, then the world of alternative sweeteners really opens up right. because they will help with preservation. They're just not quite as powerful as, you know, pure refined granulated sugar. Right. That's a great way to think about it, actually, to, to preserve for as long as that fruit is um, not in season. Then, yeah. you know, a good nine months or so, and then you'll see it again um, when it's summer. Yeah. Um, and also, um, I guess on that note, um, what was I going to say? Uh, <laughs> I totally forgot my thought. But um, I feel like every, you know, year or so, there's like a health food, there's a culprit when it comes to health. And sugar right now is in a pretty bad place. Yeah. Um, you know, People are really advocating, you know, the WHO, the World Health Organization is really uh, encouraging cutting back on added sugars. Um, so it's it's really demonized these days. And there seems to be a lack of resources for how to, like, um, figure out how to re-engineer um, some of these staples. And yeah. I, oh, I remember what I was going to say, actually. Um, so what what you're doing is very different from like an industrial jam maker, right? Who yeah. has to create these huge batches that last a longer time. But when you're just a home cook tinkering around, um, you really don't need to follow those old rules. It's true. You don't need, you're, again, yeah, you're not trying to maintain, you know, shelf stability for several years. You know, it's really just, you know, if you're making it for yourself or your friends and family, it really that, you know, it's going to keep just fine. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, and I mean, the other thing to know about the natural sweeteners is that they don't preserve color as well. But as long as you know that, as long as you know that your strawberry jam might fade a little bit, it's going to be okay. It's still going to taste good. So it's just a matter of education and um, helping people understand the trade-offs in using the natural sweeteners. But they do work beautifully, and they bring so much flavor to the table that mm. you can use less and still yeah. have something that's really satisfying and um you know, tastes good, but you've, you know, for instance, something like coconut sugar, it has, 
a really earthy flavor. And so if you pick your fruits, you know, sensibly so that it compromises with that, um, or, you know, collaborates nicely with the flavor of the coconut sugar, you can use a lot less and you're going to get really... Mm. Um, like caramely, earthy yeah. flavor from it in your preserve. So you can really get something that tastes great, spreads nicely, and... Um, you don't have to go that sweet. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's really interesting. Uh, let's talk about coconut sugar, because yeah. along with, like, the uh-huh. culprits or villains of food, there's always, like, a hero or trend each year, and coconut everything seems to be very much in a in a in a high lofty place right now um so what is coconut sugar (laughs) so coconut sugar um is it's actually the full name is coconut palm sugar so it's not it's not derived from the coconut fruit it is the sap extracted from the coconut palm trees and then it is cooked down and dehydrated so it's cooked down like maple syrup and then Mm, dehydrated completely to make a um, a powdered sugar that has a consistency um, and flavor similar to brown sugar but it's not as damp or moist and Mm. um, just has again it's really earthy so it has like these caramely um earthy notes that i think are really delicious it's um it's definitely an adjustment for people Mm -hmm. who are used to you know the pure refined sugar pardon Mm -hmm. me i'm sorry i'm getting over a cold so i'm gonna cough right now (laughs) okay (laughs) sorry Mm um and so what i really love about coconut sugar is that it is it it is actually you know they say it has a lower glycemic um index than um, regular sugar. So it's really supposed to be better for you. But it also, you know, you really can, in baking, you can use it one-to-one with brown sugar. And in preserving, I tend to use a little bit less than I would a refined or granulated sugar. And it's just... It, it really is one that is fun to explore and try. And there's a recipe I have in the book that I feel like is a really great entry point for people who have never tried coconut sugar before. And it's a little awesome. wacky, but it's delicious. It is a strawberry cocoa jam. And oh. so it's strawberries and, um, you know, strawberries are bright and, you know, berry flavored. And uh, normally if you paired coconut sugar with them, it could drown out. Mm-hmm. They would sort of clash. But I added cocoa powder to it and made it sort of a chocolate strawberry jam. Oh, my gosh. And so the, the cocoa acts as a bridge between the berry flavor and the, um, the flavor in the coconut sugar, and it turns into something that is, I think it's just delectable. It makes the best, you know, peanut butter sandwich you've ever had. It's a great one for people who have kids who are really into Nutella uh-huh. because it's a great substitute, it, you know, because for a parent, from a parent's perspective, it's more virtuous, and from a kid's perspective, they're still getting chocolate and I feel like everybody wins and it's a great one if you've never tried um, playing around with um, coke with coconut sugar before. Uh, yeah I'm sold I think I want that for Easter right now <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, one last thing before we cut to a quick little uh, yeah. commercial break but does coconut sugar taste like coconut I, it I doesn't can't. taste anything like coconut okay. Just There's curious. no coconut flavor in it, which is, yeah, a question I get a lot from people. Hmm. Okay, let's talk more right after a quick little commercial break. All right. just your garden. 
It's the way you live. And there's so much to know. But you have help. Bonnie Plants. Now with Bonnie's app, Homegrown, you can learn about veggie and herb varieties, track and record your garden with photos and notes, share on Facebook and Twitter, and so much more. How'd you ever grow without it? Get Homegrown with Bonnie Plants for iPhone and Android. The more you know, the better you can grow with Bonnie. All right, we're back chatting more with Marissa McClellan of Food in Jars. Um, so naturally sweet. Uh, we were just talking about coconut sugar, and you've written many recipes using maple and honey um, for those added dimensions of flavor, but also it's natural and it's sweet. Yeah. Um, but, okay, so obviously you've done a lot of canning, and um, y- the experience has made you all the wiser with you know what works and what doesn't. Um, but how exactly did you begin sort of hacking, if I may use the word hack, um, you know, some of these recipes um, using alternative sweeteners? Um, well, so I started initially using honey because that's sort of, I feel like, most people's gateway into mm-hmm. natural sweeteners. And um, by the time I was playing with natural sweeteners, I really understood the the sort of science behind canning. canning. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, when you're, when you're creating a canning recipe, your goals are to ensure that the acid content is high enough to pre- prevent um, botulism growth from occurring. Yeah, yeah, that's the biggest scare I hear. Yeah. So I really was I was aware and understood what you know where my acid levels needed to be to produce okay. safe recipes. Um, you know, one of the virtues of refined sugar is that it's neutral when it. Um, in terms of acid, so it does it impacts acid content not at all. Um, but some of these natural sweeteners, because they're liquid sweeteners, they can actually impact the acid levels oh, a little bit. So like maple yeah. syrup is low in acid, so um, I use both maple syrup and maple sugar in the book, and I use maple sugar in places where I want to ensure that I don't have any impact on the acid content, um, hmm. because it is. It doesn't impact it in the same way that the um, the syrup would, hmm. and so um, knowing that I needed to have my acid, you know, where I needed to have my acid content, and just having an idea of, um, you know, the the preservation power of these various sweeteners, um, I really just started playing around, and I, you know, I worked on this book before I turned the manuscript in. I had been working on the recipes for a full year, so mm-hmm. I, you know, had made things and had them sit to see how they mm-hmm. aged and, yeah. you know, see which ones would lose their color and, you know, wow. if maybe adding a little bit more lemon juice in one case would help preserve color. So I really um, took all the knowledge I've acquired over the years in terms of, you know, and also density. You know, if something is more dense, it takes longer for the heat to penetrate to the center of the jar. Okay. Kill off yeah. any bacteria. So, like, if you have a really dense fruit butter, you're going to process it in your mm-hmm. canner longer than you would a... Um, loosey, juicy kind exactly. of jam. Yeah, because the heat can, process, can penetrate better. Mm. So taking everything that I've learned over, you know, the seven, eight years that I've been doing this... Um, I feel like I was in a in a good position to write this book. Now there are recipes that I couldn't make safe for oh. water bath canning. Okay. For instance, there is a damson plum paste in the book, and it is basically a damson plum butter mm-hmm. that is cooked down so much, so long mm-hmm. that it's sort of sliceable. You know, wow. or it's a like, very thick paste. You know, mm-hmm. you could kind of take a little bit and spread it on some cheese mm-hmm. and. Because that paste is so dense, I couldn't come up with a boiling water bath process for it that was long enough to penetrate. It just didn't work. Wow. And so 
that's one that I recommend for the freezer rather than uh-huh. processing because it's going to keep better. And because it's a high acid preserve, if something goes wrong, it's not going to be botulism. It's not going to be something dangerous. Oh. It's just simply going to be mold or uh-huh. it'll start to ferment. And mm-hmm. those things are just undesirable. And sure. so in order to you know create the most shelf-stable, um, longest-lasting product possible, that one just needs to go in the freezer. Okay. So do you recommend, it sounds like pH here is really important to, yeah. uh, do we need like pH strips as like a home canner, like those I, things? That... I don't typically recommend them to people mm-hmm. um, because pH strips are often not as sensitive as you want them to be right in the range that you need to be measuring at okay. for canning. And additionally, um, there, there's some steps to testing for pH in um, canning that aren't necessarily common sense knowledge. So mm. when you're testing something for pH and canning, you it needs to sit for a little while after you've preserved it because um, you know to, because pH can shift a little bit in the jar. Yeah. And then you want to puree it and then oh, measure right. the pH of the finished puree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if it's chunky, you know the pH of the inter- internal piece of the fruit might be different from the syrup or mm. the liquid. Oh, so. It just is a multi-step process that most home cooks don't really want to deal with. Yeah. Um, do you encourage people to sort of experiment um, in canning? Uh, or is this... I, I carefully encourage people to experiment in limited ways. Yeah. So um, I encourage people to change spices. So yeah. you have a recipe you love for you know, peach jam, and it has cinnamon and nutmeg in it. And then you decide, I'd really love to make this jam you know, a cardamom-flavored one. Mm-hmm. You take out the cinnamon and nutmeg and you spice it with cardamom instead. Or you take that same jam and you infuse it with some dried lavender. Okay, what or, if I said, like, um, ginger, though? Because you just described some dry spices, but what if I wanted to use fresh grated ginger? Is that like a, ooh, not the same because it's, like, wet, and then the other ones no, are No, you could dry? do something like that. Okay. When we add spices or um, things like ginger, we're adding them in such small amounts that they don't oh. typically impact the finished pH. Well, you know, I might add a lot of ginger. No, I'm just kidding. Well, I mean, if you're making a batch of peach jam that's yielding like three pints and Mm -hmm. you're adding two or three tablespoons of, you know, fresh grated ginger, which would be a lot of ginger for a recipe like that, it still wouldn't be enough to um, alter the, the pH to an unsafe place. Uh, what, what? Okay, so <laughs> what kind of kitchen disasters have you had, aside from not getting that uh, plum paste to, um, you know, be processed in the water? Uh, I want to know <laughs> what, well, what um, went horribly I've wrong. I've had some things ferment in the jars where okay. I didn't process them long enough and there was still some um, bacteria. Mm-hmm. And so I've had jars that have... Um, bubbled over and the seals have broken because the fermentation was so active and um, they've made a mess. That was really gross. Wow. Did they like break the glass when they no, exploded? It, oh, okay. it just broke the seal, thankfully. Okay. Um, you know, I always store my jars without rings on once they're processed. Um, oh. And so it allows, if something goes wrong in the jar, the pressure that's oh. created inside, it will break the seal if the ring isn't on there. And so it allows it to vent that way. And so you don't oh. have a lot of breakage. That's smart. So you know if it's really exactly. Feeling. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So what is there any, like, really tricky ingredients that you would um, advise against? Like, I don't know. Are there, are there fruits that are just more difficult um, to work well, with? Yeah, I mean, I certainly, there are fruits like 
Banana? Apricots, mm-hmm. which are wonderful and delicious, but they are their color is so fragile um, that often, you know, if you're not careful, your apricot preserves brown. will turn brown. So sometimes, like in this book I used, I made them into a barbecue sauce oh, um, nice. so that the brown color, the browning didn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Um, bananas are one where yeah, well, they I, are, you know, tropical fruits no in general. Why no banana preserves? Why is that? Yeah. People, banana, people like to preserve bananas, and they, they're really low in acid, so you have to com, you know, complement them with a lot of um, lemon juice or citric acid to make them safe. Personally, I've never really come across a banana preserve I've loved, yeah. but I know... Um, I don't know if that sounds good to me. Either. Yeah, I know that there's a chocolate banana preserve in Autumn Giles', Giles new book, um, Beyond Canning. I haven't oh, yes. tried it yet, but... Yeah. I'm intrigued by it. I want to. I want to at least give it a you know a test run. But um, you know, and all the tropical fruits like other than pineapple, but like mango and papaya, they all are lower in acid than you might think. And mm-hmm. so you just be careful with stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. What about watermelon? <laughs> watermelon. <laughs> so I do have a watermelon jelly recipe in this book, and it has a ton of. Sorry, my volume on my television just came on for no particular reason. Um, and so the watermelon has a ton of um, acid and a ton of lemon juice to make oh. it safe. Mm-hmm. And even, and, and so it definitely, it doesn't taste like fresh watermelon. No. You know, if you're someone who loves a watermelon Jolly Rancher, then um, that's the preserve for you. But otherwise, okay. it's not there are people who love it and people who don't. It's not my favorite, but mm-hmm. there, I have enough fans of the watermelon jelly on my blog that I thought it was useful mm-hmm. to create one for this book. Yeah, the cook flavor of a fruit is so different, you know, yeah. between the fresh flavor. And I can't, I don't know about watermelon. That just, yeah, that sounds Yeah, it definitely. And it smells weird as it boils down. <laughs> um, it definitely doesn't smell quite right, but um, it, it the finished taste is fine and the finished smell is fine but it's a little weird as it cooks down doesn't it also kind of separate like the pigments are like like kind of like yes yeah breaks down that's weird it, it's an odd one mm, okay any other absolute no-nos or no well i mean there's no absolute no-nos but there's certainly things to be aware of like um if you're making jam with peaches, you really want to make jam with yellow peaches. White peaches and white nectarines are lower in acid than right, right, their yellow right. versions. And so you have to um, tweak your recipe if you're working with um, the white versions of fruit. Very cool. Well, um, I, I can't thank you enough for like testing these recipes so thoroughly um, and sharing them. And uh, they're really, I think that they're really um, exciting to see all the new ways that you can use all these sweeteners um, that are not sugar. Well, thanks. I'm I'm excited to see, you know, how people use the book in their home kitchens and make the recipes there. Yeah, let's keep it. It'll be interesting. Let's definitely keep the conversation going. So everyone check out Food in Jars. Uh, You could also check out Food in Jars Twitter handle. And um, what else, Marissa? I'm, I'm food on jar, food in jars on just about every social media platform, um, and yeah, the new book naturally sweet food in jars. Definitely check it out. Um, and thank you so much, Marissa. We really appreciate your jam enthusiasm as always. Oh, Keep on thank rocking. You. It was right. good to talk to you. You too. All right, guys. Um, we'll see you next week on Eat Your Words.
for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Yeah, you made me feel so good inside.